Welcome everyone to Wait What? Sports Biz Chat with DP and McGee. This is the podcast that takes a unique look at the business of sports, sometimes irreverent, often cynical, and on occasion even serious. I'm your co-host, David Paro. And I'm Tim McGee. So realizing we've passed the halfway point of 2022, it is MLB All-Star Week. Normally, All-Star Week would be a week prior. We know this, of course, because Tim's birthday usually falls <laughs> on All-Star Week, and we had his birthday celebration last week. We've published 27 straight weeks since launching this podcast on January 15th, and we have more great guests lined up for the next few months, including uh, one that we'll welcome in today. We can't wait to bring those guests to you. Um, we're actually coming to you a day earlier than normal this week due to some scheduling conflicts, which will have impact on absolutely nothing, we don't believe. <laughs> so, so we'll just go ahead and launch into it. Tim, what's on your mind? Well, the fact that we're so unimportant has just been reinforced, but uh, it would have been nice to talk about the Home Run Derby, which will be on in a couple of hours from when we're recording this. But um, but keeping in the baseball theme, um, Casey Close, one of the partners in Excel Sports, um, who's been the agent for some great players, going back to uh, Derek Jeter and even earlier now, uh, most recently was in the news because of his work on behalf of his client, Freddie Freeman, who we know uh, the angel, or excuse me, the Braves lost to free agency. Um, it was reported last month that by Doug Gottlieb that um, Casey Close had not um, informed his client of all of the deals. That's what Gottlieb reported. And now Casey Close is actually suing him for libel. Um, it's a, it, you know, it's a pretty serious step um, to bring bring forth a case of, of libel. So he obviously feels that he has been wronged and, and his reputation has been damaged. So it'll be interesting to see how that works its way through the courts. Well, bringing a libel case is very serious and not easy, not easy at all. But it does show you just how, not only how strongly he feels about it not happening, but just how serious that allegation is in regards to an agent. Um, that you, especially one of, of such um, fan favoritism as, as Freddie Freeman. I mean, this was big news when it broke. And I have to tell you, when I first read the article or Gottlieb's account, especially dealing with an agent of such prominence as Casey Close, my jaw was on the floor. Um, it was like, I, I, it, I couldn't believe it. Now, he's saying I had reason not to believe it. So I guess we'll have to see how this, uh, how this moves its uh, way through. Um, how Gottlieb got information on that and so forth. Yeah, it, you know, every agent who represents talent, whether it's an athlete, an artist, an actor, whatever it happens to be, a musician, uh, they have to put their client's best interest first and foremost, right? And so these, the, these, these reports by Gottlieb goes to the very core of what people like Casey Close do and are required to do on behalf of their clients. So clearly it's uh, it's very important to Casey Close and and the folks at Excel Market or Excel Sports that they uh, that they defend themselves vigorously in this case. So uh, as I said, it'll be interesting right. to see how that works its way. Yeah. Correct. Listen, it's not it's not rare for agents to want their players, their talent to be in the biggest media markets. But Atlanta is not exactly a shabby media market or a shabby baseball market. But um, Los Angeles is Los Angeles. Again, j 
just saying that traditionally speaking, agents may want to have their top, top notch players playing in the best media markets, both for local deals and various other type of opportunities that come. Uh, but still, yeah, this was a shocking news story. So it's been interesting to see the response. And and uh, I agree with you 100%. They, they really needed to vigorously defend against that. Hey, real quick on, on this, uh, another story that just came out recently, and since we're on baseball, is that MLB settled its class, class action suit with minor league players for $185 million. Uh, which by major league sports standard standards isn't necessarily a huge, huge sum. But for these players that will receive some money, um, I think a, a nice settlement. And this was based on um, charges of, uh, you know, violating minimum wage standards and, and overtime violations. So uh, kind of an interesting settlement here right in advance of uh, of All-Star Week. I wonder if that preempts the, uh, the investigation by the Senate Judiciary Committee into the um into the antitrust exemption status of major league baseball. I don't, I don't know. Well, antitrust exemption status could be the, the those hearings could be going on nonstop constantly when it comes to sports and various other institutions uh, around the country. But anytime it comes to standards of work and time and overtime and things like that, obviously the, the feds are going to have their, uh, have their eyes on that. So I think for the, for the players that brought it, it sounds like it was an amenable deal. And, uh, you know, um, we'll, we'll see if new, new news on that breaks over the next few weeks. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting to read that. Well, let's just finish going around the horn with baseball. Um, not surprisingly, the New York Yankees named Legends as the agency to sell um, the jersey patch for them. And I say not surprisingly, <laughs> not surprisingly, because the Yankees are part owners in Legend. But the guys at Legends are going to be looking at a commission on a likely a $20 million a year deal. Um, so it'll be interesting to see who winds up on those um, legendary and no pun intended historic pinstripes. Yeah. I don't think it's a stretch at all to say that of the major league teams um, that the Yankees will fetch the most for their patch. The other New York team, the Mets, will do well with theirs. The Dodgers will do well, and I imagine the Cubs will do well. And I think everybody will do well, right. um, but the level that the Yankees should be able to bring, um, and certainly legends in, yes, they're they're partly owned by uh, by the Yankees, but they certainly have the reach and global reach, quite honestly, to, to uh, be able to bring a lot of partners to the table for that. And there will be a ton of interest, I imagine. Yeah, I'd rather be selling the Red Sox than the Royals. Let's put it that way if I was looking at the commission. Right. Oh, I, I, you know, I bash Boston a lot. Not bash, but I make comments about Boston. Obviously, the Red Sox would be in that group of teams that I mentioned there in terms of getting, yeah. a, getting a big number. Sorry. Sorry, Boston folks. See, yeah, I, don't apologize to Boston. People. Yeah. LeBron, LeBron, cer LeBron certainly didn't recently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know if he's going to be, if he's going to be welcome at the next board meeting of Fenway sports group. <laughs> For those of you who didn't know, uh, I think what was the term racist AF? Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that he is a, you know, he is a, partner there you know he likes to wear his lfc stuff around well listen i you know if you go back i mean bill russell did not have a particularly good relationship for his years in boston very different time in the 50s and 60s than it is now in the uh, 21st century um the red sox were the last team to integrate by bringing in a, a player by the name of pumpsy green 
many years. Wait, after what? This. What? Yeah, that's yeah. some that's some deep knowledge there, my friend. I love yeah, it. No, no notes. Yes. Um, no. Well, um, there's no way. There's no way you would have looked that up because we just brought that subject up on the fly. By the way, th so thank you. So thank that was you. impressive. Yeah, uh, long after the rest of the league had integrated, you know, they were, uh, you know, going back to the 70s with, you know, fights around um, uh, busing um, students within the Boston school district uh, system. So, you know, Boston has a long um, and not necessarily uncheckered history of race relations in that city. Um, so uh, the fact that it's still going on and the fact that uh, LeBron James felt compelled to say it shows that his next contract will not be with the Celtics if, in right. fact, there is a next contract. But speaking of LeBron, real quick, you know, for the first time in his history in the league, um, the Athletic uh, ranks every one of the players. And uh, for the first time since he joined the league, LeBron is no longer what's considered a 1A level player. He's dropped to 1C. Um, he is the he is the eighth ranked player, according to this ranking in the NBA. So uh, even even players as great as that um, start to fade a little bit with age. Yeah, I mean, LeBron's been in the news in, in a lot of ways. He's playing in the uh, the Drew League first time in a while that he's uh, uh, that he's playing there. And of course, he's arguing with officials um, uh, freely. Uh, and he also. Um, is going to be uh, marketing Pepsi's Life Water. He was a longtime Coke guy uh, and had yeah. uh, recently switched over, and the focus of that will be on uh, on that product, Life Water. So he continues to be in the news. Um, he, you know, listen, LeBron is a unique character. He's hated by a lot of people, loved by a lot. Uh, always in the discussion of is he one of uh, or the greatest player. Uh, most people continue to believe that it's MJ. Uh, I would concur with that. But LeBron definitely is in the mix, but he pisses a lot of people off uh, for the positions he takes, maybe sometimes his flopping and certainly his chirping at officials. So there's some reasons to for people to get on him. But uh, you can't say that he hasn't been a factor, first billionaire player to come, uh, you know, to, to to build that type of empire where he can be considered a billionaire. Uh, and he's very outspoken and he's done some some pretty important things for uh, uh, for various causes that are important to him as well. I love his unspoken outspokenness. Um, according to my Uber driver, it's not even close. Um, in fact, my Uber driver would almost put him third behind MJ and Kareem. Yeah, so, I, I, that's I, I, I think that's I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think Kareem gets generally gets a bit a bit of a bad rap on whether he should be in that mix as much because yeah. people tend to say MJ, LeBron, and maybe Kobe now. Um, Kobe's up there, yeah. He's certainly uh, up there. So I would say a couple of things. Number one, none of those players other than Kareem were in airplane. Right. Okay, so that alone gets him votes. And second of all, I have a favor to ask you as the person who puts the editing touches on this. Would you mind editing Uber driver? and say limo driver right so we sound like we're bigger than we i are. honestly i don't know if i can do that tim because the fact that you said my uber driver is though you call up the the chairman of uber or the ceo of uber and say can i you was get the my only, driver owner? i was the only you, person in the car that's what i meant oh, by my uber driver i thought you made uber it sound driver. like it's like your regular driver like the driver no. i normal normally summon to my mansion in new jersey I'm going to make this easy on you. I'm going to pause. Limo driver. 
I don't another pause. Now you right. can cut that and put that in over my okay. All right. So drive. so the so our goal here, let me make sure, because, you know, you and I come from this world of objectives-based sports marketing, that our goal here is to make us look bigger than we are by substituting limo in for what you said about your Uber driver. Okay, got it. Correct. I'm taking notes. Wait, I'm Correct. taking notes. Thank you. Um, okay. I haven't had a limo driver since my mom used to drive me to Little League game. That's what uh, she used to call <laughs> Right. Well, um, I thought we might go a week without talking about live golf, but I don't think we can <laughs> because there's news breaking. Um, obviously, yesterday, uh, Australian Cam Smith had an unbelievable performance in the final round. Well, of- well, yes, yes, he did. But Rory looked like a young Tim McGee, um, hit every green in regulation, and then just his putting just abandoned him. He looked, he looked like me. Yeah, he well, he really didn't play bad. Final round, you you normally don't see a score, the lowest scores on the final round because that's where the pressure right. is. A guy like Rory goes in with a lead. He's not playing worst he, hardest pin placement. Right, he, he played well. Tee to green, he was fantastic. He missed a couple fairways, but always got on. Hit every green, like you said. That's rare in a final round of a, a major championship. He just couldn't make anything. He is putter. And I will give the, I will give credit to Paul Azinger, who's now going to be the lead uh, analyst for NBC, is he said early on in the round or maybe halfway through, he said the differences could be Cam Smith's putter. He is the most confident putter right now. And the dude just did not miss. Yeah. He hit everything. Everything was everything was dropping for him. And he just he just played with with great confidence. So he's a great champion. 150th anniversary of the Open Championship played at the legendary uh, old course at St. Andrews. After the round, he was asked about live golf rumors. He didn't deny them. A lot of the stories are out that he is going to be making the leap to live golf, which would be a, a big slam. We are getting close to, I, I don't know if it's a tipping point, but a point where the, where the tour may not be able to not address or not try to figure out some degree of peace other than they waited out and see if the live golf would go bankrupt. But then just before we came on air um, or before we started recording, I should say, not a live show. <laughs> You'd think the way it comes across is like, well, it's totally live because look at all the, because <laughs> what guys would how, let some of that shit get <laughs> right. through. <laughs> um, uh, Andrew uh, Marshand of the New York post, the media sports media writer there who breaks a lot of big stories uh, wrote that David Faraday, who is the you know very popular uh, NBC host, um, has his own show on Golf Channel. Uh, very very funny, uh, entertaining guy is leaving to go to live now. For those announcers that have, um, including those on Golf Channel that have bashed Live, it's going to be an inter- interesting to see what they say. But that's a big get. Uh, because he's a very knowledgeable golf analyst, and um, you know, based on the other uh, broadcast and the and the, the way that those broad that I've you know when I've listened to the broadcast, they could probably use a guy like this. Um, I don't think he'll pull any punches, but we'll see. I mean, it's been these broadcasts have not been a normal, you know, criticize when criti- criticism is necessary. They've been love fests for the for this new concept. So. Um, and there are other people that are uh, about to na- announce as well. Uh, uh, Henrik Stenson, um, who was a former Open champion uh, as well, is uh, supposedly going, and we know what that could mean. Well, if he goes, he will lose his captaincy for the 2023 Ryder Cup team. So there's, you know, there's 
there's real consequences for these guys leaving. And, you know, you don't necessarily take that role on for the money. It's, it's really for, you know, in that case, love of continent, right. Um, love of the sports. So the fact that he is considering doing that shows that, you know, some of the things that may have been most um, important and a higher priority to these players in the past are no longer there because of the money that's uh, coming. But, you know, it's interesting that you have the dichotomy of somebody like a Cameron Smith, who, who is, uh, you know, near the top of his game, right at mm -hmm. the top of his game. And then you have somebody like Henrik Stenson, who is a past champion, but is not in the prime of his career. So you almost get a field where you get guys like Stenson and, and 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 Mickelson who are competing, and then you get guys like you know uh, Bryson DeChambeau and and Smith, and uh, it doesn't necessarily make for a competitive field throughout the tournament. You know what I'm right. saying? There's right. almost like there's almost like two two tranches of players. Yeah. Well, I think what makes this all fairly interesting is you know we talked last week about Tiger's comments um, leading up to the Open Championship, and then. Um, Martin Slumbers, the uh, the head of the RNA, did a press conference and he bashed as well. He was he was politic, but he bashed Liv. And his primary point was this idea of are they really good for golf when golf is based on this meritocracy? We've heard that before, um, and this earning your spot in the you know the the pantheon of greatness of uh, in the sport, and that it's just not that. And so far, it hasn't been. If you watch the tournament, uh, you know, I don't care how much you're into live golf and the concept of taking the money, it hasn't been good golf. It hasn't been impressive golf. It hasn't been competitive golf because it hasn't mattered. Coming off of his statement now with the possibility that Smith goes, Stenson, various other, you know, Tommy Fleetwood has been rumored, and I think several others, that they are going to have announcements. And don't for a second think that the timing isn't interesting to come right after uh championships which is what happened with brooks kepka um after the u.s open so we're in we're in weird times on this right now uh no doubt about it yeah and uh just a little bit of trivia first time in the history of golf going back to its foundings centuries ago in scotland it's the first time in the history of the entire sport the two people named Cameron came in first and second in a, in a tournament. And you, of course, know where, where Cameron Young went to school. Yeah, no, of course. Okay, Wake Forest. Wake Forest. Which, which makes three of the four majors this year, I don't know if this is good or bad, but a Wake Forest person finished second. Zalatoris at the, at the PGA Championship in the mm -hmm. U.S. Open and Cameron Young at the Open Championship. And, of course, Zalatoris finished top 10, uh, finishing number six at the Masters. So not a bad year for those uh, former teammates at Wake Forest University. Unless, of course, you subscribe to the Ricky Bobby School, which if you ain't first, you're last. Sorry to, sorry to totally stop. Reese, Re listen, in that all-important scene in Talladega Nights, Reese Bobby, Ricky Bobby's father, dispelled that rumor. He was high when he said it. We all know that. It meant nothing. Yeah. You, you know, you could be third. You could be. Third. I, I actually, I actually did have a conversation with a huge race fan when that movie came out, who said he re, he refused to see it because there was no night race at Talladega. So in his mind, he was not going to see that movie because it wasn't. I tried to explain to him it was not, in fact, a documentary. I, I would have, I would have said, hats off to you, 
Mr. Purist, had NASCAR not so well embraced that. And quite honestly, I, I give them credit because they really let themselves be poked fun at a lot in that movie. Um, I had a chance to uh, work with Chicagoland Speedway, which was a client of mine at the time, with uh, Will Ferrell uh, on doing an ad. We actually featured him in the, an ad, uh, and he kind of came on as Ricky Bobby, and it was just it was hilarious to kind of work with him on producing something. Very very funny guy, uh, and uh, you know that's another movie I will watch fairly often. <laughs> well, it's on virtually every weekend, so you, there's no shortage of opportunities. Listen. Yeah. If Tom Cruise can uh, recreate uh, Maverick uh, 35, 36 years after the original, there's no reason Ricky Bobby can't come out of retirement. And I don't know, maybe. Uh, well, I wish that Adam McKay and Will Ferrell were still working together. Um, and maybe that would be the case, but I think they're yeah. on still on hiatus. So we'll have to see if, uh, uh, if they uh do something like that. Hey, interestingly, there is some other racing news. Uh, you know, I don't know if you you saw this, but uh, twenty three eleven um, mm -hmm. uh, recently announced just last week that Tyler Reddick would be um, jumping from RCR, a team that you're very familiar with, um, to go race for twenty three eleven uh, in twenty twenty four, which is a little amazing to announce it this early if it's supposed to be twenty twenty four. Obviously, the speculation is that he'll end up replacing Kurt Busch if they remain a two-car team or do they become a, you know, a three-car team down the road. Uh, so that was pretty interesting news, I think. And then, uh, and then, you know, right on top of that, it was announced that uh, Alex Palu, uh, who drives for Chip Ganassi in the Indy Racing Series, is going to be jumping to F1 right after <laughs> Chip Ganassi put out a press release saying that he was returning and they even had a quote from their driver <laughs> in there. So all kinds of crazy shit going on in the, in the, the you know racing rosters well fans fans of this podcast will remember that we had 2311 president steve laletta on a couple of months ago and i sent him a congratulatory note after that announcement and he said it's it's nice to have something be a surprise in in nascar because so many things get leaked through the garage and the rumor mill grinds incessantly at that uh yeah in that sport but yeah tyler reddick a great up-and-coming driver and listen kurt bush uh is on track to make uh, or on pace to make the the playoffs this year right he's yeah. got a win he's he's up there near the top of the points yeah so. they had a good show and they both had a good showing this week for sure both the both the cars the the 23 car of Bubba Wallace and the 45 of Kurt Busch uh, yeah. had had uh, had good weekends for sure. Now, interestingly, Kurt's brother, um, Kyle Busch, who is a great driver and, uh, you know, uh, NASCAR champion, um, his sponsor, uh, Mars, is leaving the sport. They've been yeah. around for a long time backing that car as the primary. Uh, and he right now isn't signed with uh, with Joe Gibbs Racing, which seems a little shocking given his success. And he still has many years ahead, I think, as a great driver. But we'll have to see where he ends up. So lots of lots of moves going on. This has actually been kind of a fun, silly season. Yeah, yeah. Silly season in the middle of the regular season. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so what do you think? We take a break and uh, get ready to bring our guest on? Sounds good. Okay, we'll be back in just a moment. It's time for our guest. So we're back, and we are very glad to uh, introduce our next guest. Chris Schlosser has held a number of roles uh, at Major League Soccer. He's been with the league about 14 years. Um, before that, he was with uh, the MSN, um, and he graduated from 
what I consider the best business school in the country, the Columbia Business School. Uh, right now, Chris's title is Senior Vice President of Emerging Ventures. Chris, thanks and welcome to Wait What? Guys, it's great to be here. Good to see you both. Good. Let's get started. So uh, really big news you guys announced recently, which was um, MLS being the first league to do its primary distribution deal through a streaming platform. We know that you know, baseball has a deal with uh, Apple on Friday nights and Peacock on Sunday and football with Amazon. But you guys are using this as your primary distribution platform. Um, why does that make sense uh, for MLS, maybe more so than it does for the other leagues? And I guess the other side of that coin is what? why do a deal with a streaming platform as opposed to something more similar to uh, your most recent media deal? Well, if you know anything about MLS, you know our fans are the youngest in American pro sports. Um, so we start there, right? If we think about <clears throat> the expectations for our fans, where they want to consume the content, our fans are the most likely to be consuming content on some sort of digital device, whether that's their phone, a tablet. Um, I guess I should now probably say their iPhone or their you know, iPad um, or some connected <laughs> TV or something similar. Um, you know, our, our fans have shown over and over again that they're the most likely to do that. But what's really exciting about the way we, we put this deal together is I think in 2022, this current season, an MLS fan would need something like 11 different services to watch every MLS match. And that's just in the United States. It would be different if you're in Canada or if you're in Mexico or someplace else, but 11 different services. And now with the, with the new deal for the first time ever, we're really offering every match for an MLS fan on one, one subscription. And that we think is really interesting. There's no geo blocks. There's no, you know, local market restrictions or blackouts or anything like that. You can uh, go on your Apple TV uh, app and you'll have access to, to every single MLS match, whole host of shoulder programming, um, highlights, you name it, it'll all be there for you. And that's true in the United States, but interestingly, that's also true around the globe. So if you're an MLS fan someplace else, you know that that also um, is a great opportunity for you. Um, and now for our fans, we you know think that's a really tremendously exciting opportunity. Doesn't mean that you know in 23 we won't have linear broadcasts. I think that's been somewhat missed uh, in the coverage so far. We will certainly have um, linear coverage as well, but every match will be available on on the Apple TV platforms. So let's follow up on that. You just mentioned that uh, that there will be linear distribution. When it comes to the MLS fan, maybe the fan that's in, has a particular interest in uh, uh, in his or her own team, um, will how how do you feel that the deal with Apple will supplement their ability to watch on their own uh, local RSN uh, or other ways that they had typically viewed their favorite team? So the RSN business for us is going away. There will, you know, today there deals with whatever it is, MSG or Yes or, or wherever. Those, those games will, those will all disappear in the future and be replaced by the, by the Apple TV platform so that every match nationwide is available on, on that uh, Apple TV app. And that's, that's what I mean. So there are no kind of in-market and out-of-market matches. Every game is just available across the country. And we think that that's, you know, again, we think that's tremendous for, for fans because in, in today's world, you needed one service or one set of subscriptions to watch your RSN. They were available on, on some uh, distribu distribution partners, but not all. 
you know, you had to have a different subscription to watch than ESPN and Fox. Um, some matches ended up on ESPN Plus. So, it, there, you know, there, there was a whole host of different places to go. And now in the future, it's really simple. Go to Apple TV. Um, the app is available on every iPhone, iOS, it's available via the web. You know, the vast majority of the connected TV platforms, whether it's Roku or Apple TV or Amazon or, you know, whatever it may be, uh, the app is there for you and, and you'll be able to get access to every MLS match. I, I want to follow up on that. So how will that change? So we think of a local broadcast as being a bit of a homer broadcast, right? Talk about how, um, you know, what what changes here as a local fan watching what it, what ultimately is a national broadcast now. So we're still working through all the production details um, in terms of exactly how it'll come to life. But you you could foresee a world where there is, you know, one set of announcers for the match across the country. Um, now, whether there's supplementary audio or other options, that's, that's stuff I'm sure we'll look at over time. Um, but we think we can provide a, a really high quality broadcast for, for every MLS match going forward. Chris, as, as if that wasn't enough big news for you guys <laughs> over the last couple of months, you then recent, more recently announced a deal with IMG Arena for them to be your um, data distribution partner. Talk a little bit about that. How is that going to improve things like fan engagement? How is it going to improve the experience for people who like to bet on MLS matches and things like that? Yeah, thanks for uh, recognizing that that deal. It, it's tremendously exciting. We think IMG is doing some really interesting things in, in the data world. If you look at specifically what they've done for UFC, for um, golf, and for tennis, where they've had deep expertise, um, you know, they built really engaging digital channels where they're creating 3D visualizations coupled with video, coupled with real-time odds. And that's a pretty unique proposition that, that's out there in the marketplace today. And they're, they're going to be able to distribute those event centers, is what they call them, um, to sports books across the country or around the world. For us, really, we think these things go hand in hand. So we talked a little bit about the Apple deal, global distribution of our content. Now I am here, you know, what, what they are really working with us on is creation of data off the field of play for us, right? So we create more engaging, more interesting stats from every MLS game and every MLS Next Pro game, which is our second league. We we put those things together, and we think if you think about broadcasts around the world, it's frankly a lot of them are pretty boring. They, they don't have great data overlays. You know, the soccer historically hasn't had all of the um, data and stats that American traditional American sports have had. And so we think the ability to, to combine the two and provide next generation live real-time data visualization with the Apple uh, media broadcasts is a really interesting proposition and gives us uh, the start of building blocks to create a, a differentiated product in, in the global sport of football. And that's part of what IMG is so excited about. They see us as a global football launch partner, somebody to really be innovative and try things. And I imagine the, the stuff we do together um, see roll out across other leagues around the world. So let me just ask a follow-up question about MLS uh, Next Pro. Do you do you guys, I mean, obviously it's a ve developmental league. Some of the next generation of MLS players will come up through that, through that league. But do you also see it as an incubator or a test tube, if you will, for some technological and um, – content innovations and and if so what what types of things can we look for um that may be incubated uh in that league it, it's actually 
Tim, really interesting. So for the longest time, MLS, you know, had the league and, and was very focused on growing the league. Um, but since the pandemic, we've had three real seismic shifts in, in the scope of our business. The first was in the middle of the pandemic, U.S. soccer shut down the U.S. Development Academy, which is the top tier youth leagues from around the country. Um, and they shut that down um, in the middle of the pandemic. And two weeks later, we created MLS Next and uh, launched a, a new top level youth league um, all across the country at something like 10 or 12,000 matches a season. It's, it's the largest football competition on earth. Then this year, we launched MLS Next Pro, which is the bridge between the youth game at MLS Next and the MLS First teams, allowing us to, to further develop players. And all of this was done first and foremost with a player development goal in mind. We want to create the next generation of American superstars, and we think we're well on our way to doing that. But the, the combination of these two tournaments really uh, provides us with an unbelievable laboratory to think about the creation of new solutions for, for the sport, whether that's ways to capture data, ways to create ways to, you know, perhaps try new production techniques or new uh, rules. You saw MLS Next Pro announce two rules um, on the competition side a couple of weeks ago. One being that if you get a red card, you have to sit out the next game against that specific opponent versus just your next game. And then a second one to target time wasting where if the trainer comes on the field, you have to take a three minute break before you can come back on to try to eliminate some of the you know faking of, of injuries that goes on towards the end of the game. And so it, it's allowing us to, to try things and, and see if, if they work. And if they do, you know, it's um, logical to think you'd see some of that stuff start to pop up in MLS uh, proper in the future. But even beyond that, uh, the launch of Next and Next Pro allows us to uh, provide in, uh, opportunities for talent all across the board, whether that's coaching talent, referee talent, front office talent, to really hone their skills running a club, um, you know, and, and we think that that'll pay real dividends uh, for our overall business in the years ahead. Chris, you've talked a lot about some innovations that you guys are are trying, and and that's very helpful to uh, to hear for us and and for our listeners. I heard you on a, another podcast. First question, of course, is why would you appear on another podcast? But we'll get to that at another point. But you mentioned that MLS is in better position to test some of these things that other than other football leagues across the world. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of explain what you uh, what you may have meant by that. I think it's a couple of things. Um, and I, I don't know of any other podcast that I would ever be on. So don't know, don't know what you're possibly referencing. <laughs> but, um, it was a really I good interview, no by the way. <laughs> it was a really good interview. Um, you were you were good. So the, what I would say is it's a couple of things. Our, our fans are the youngest, as we talked about. So they expect us to try and push the envelope in, in all sorts of different ways. They have an appetite to, to engage in perhaps different ways than more traditional sports fans would. But then also we, we're not bound by, you know, the historical bounds that some of these European leagues and clubs are where you have 120 years of history and you know, you've always done it a certain way. And so why would we ever change it? Now, look, there, there's great benefit to history and, uh, you know, I don't want to discount that, but we certainly don't have it. We're never going to just magically make up that history in the future. So let's lean in on the innovation side and, and ask questions about, hey, you know, can we do something better? Can we 
uh, try something in, in a new way. I'll, I'll give you an example. In the tournament in, that we had during COVID times down in, in Disney, when we brought all our teams together, we, you know, we, we did something we thought was pretty straightforward where we aired on our broadcasts the back and forth between the center referee and the video referee talking about you know reviews that were ongoing what are they looking at you know what are they seeing the the banter that goes back and forth we put that out on, on air and that was the first time anywhere in the world anyone had actually ever aired that audio and of course we promptly got a you know a note from fifa saying knock it off you can't do that but that's the the kind of stuff that we thought hey you know i bet the fans would really like to to see and hear that on They'd like to know, you know, what was behind a certain call or a certain review. And the feedback we got from our fans was tremendous. They absolutely loved it. And so for us, it's yes, we're, you know, we play in this tradition bound sport and there, there's great benefit to that. But how do we, you know, not be afraid to try things to push the envelope and Commissioner Garber for sure is a huge proponent of us continuing to push. He, he does not want to accept the status quo and he, he challenges all of us every day to, to come up with new solutions. Let's take a, a step back for a little broader view for a moment, if you don't mind, Chris. Soccer in the United States um, has really uh, been trending positively in terms of gaining momentum. You've got labor peace between uh, the women's national team and U.S. soccer. You've got the men's team qualifying for the upcoming World Cup. You've got the men's uh, team also qualifying for the Olympic Games. Um, what do these types of things do for MLS and driving um, interest and uh, avidity and engagement and things like that? So I, I, mean, I think it's accurate to say soccer has been the whatever the sport of the future for the last 40 or 50 years, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, wait, <laughs> wait, what? Somebody from somebody from soccer actually making that? Yes, okay. we appreciate that. Um, but I think if you looked at the reality of the situation, there is more soccer on TV in the United States than any other club, any other country on the planet. We get access to football from every league all around the world. It, it, it is rapidly consumed uh, by a whole host of, of young fans um, who have their favorite teams, whether that's an MLS team, a Liga MX team, a European team, or, or a team further afield. There is great fandom throughout the United States. What the big events do is give us the chance to reach beyond those, those great soccer fans and engage the more casual fan in, in um, a tournament format. Because youth soccer has been you know, such a, a factor in, in the United States for so long, there are hundreds and thousands of people that have you know, a great knowledge of the sport, millions of people that, that know about the sport. They know how it's played. They know they have an understanding of the rules because they, they likely played it. Now, whether they go out to their local MLS match, you know, every weekend or not, who knows? Uh, but for a long time, right, if, if you think about the history of the league, we, nece we didn't necessarily have a local team for the vast majority of consumers. It's only now as we start to reach 30 clubs uh, next year that we actually are starting to get coverage in all of the major metropolitan areas. And there's still big gaps across the country. So the World Cup gives us this chance to, to reach out and touch fans all, all across the country. If you think about the last time the World Cup was in the United States, it was 94. That's still the most attended, highest revenue generating World Cup of all time. But at that time, there wasn't a local league. MLS didn't exist. It didn't start play until 1996, two years later. 
So we've never had this phenomenon of a locally hosted World Cup with an actual, you know, league in place to to align and, and capture the momentum that comes out of that World Cup. Our own data shows every time the U.S. team has been in a World Cup, you get a, a bump in fandom for the following, interestingly, not just one year, but two years in terms of interest and, and attraction. Everyone seems to think it's like a six-week bump, but you actually get a two-year bump in, in fandom. And so we think that'll only um, certainly continue this year with, with the World Cup uh, in November. But then building on that, we think that there's an even more sizable opportunity as you think about 2026. From just pure business perspective, if you know, if you think about just the, the world of business, it's almost an impossibility in this day and age to be able to put a stake in the ground and say, in four years time, we know something is going to happen. And that something is going to be incredibly positive for our business. And that's the opportunity that we have. And so our entire focus with the Apple deal, with the IMG Arena deal, with several other things we're working on is all about building and putting in place the groundwork um, you know, we have now 27 years of investment in the league. We have great stadiums. We have great franchises. We have training grounds with academies. We have all these fundamental building blocks. And now we have this four-year period leading up in, into this transformational moment of the World Cup. And we think that's an incredibly powerful combination that, you know, can take all of the growth we've seen and just add jet fuel to it and even turbocharge it uh, further uh, for the next, you know, generation of soccer fans. So heading into this World Cup, there's the additional news that MLS and, and or some, I should say, Soccer United Marketing and U.S. Soccer have split in terms of representation of the actual rights with the NGB taking back the, those rights. But how has that split kind of enabled you, MLS, to be able to focus on really what's important now at this stage of at this part of your life cycle? Yeah, and look, what, it, what I'd say is I think we'll continue to have a very close re uh, relationship with the foundation or the federation for for a very very long time i mean we're, we're partners in so many things in terms of growing the the game of soccer here in the united states the fact that they, they you know they took their commercial rights back i think is is a positive for them it shows they're they're investing in the staffing and resources needed to, to grow the u.s soccer commercial business and and that's tremendous on the mls side you know as we talked about um with mls with next pro with next those are three tremendous uh, opportunities for us and then we haven't touched on it yet, but um, in 2023, we will be launching something we're calling Leagues Cup, which is a new tournament with every MLS club and every Liga MX club facing off in an annual World Cup style tournament, 77 games in the you know, course of a month. And we think that that's a you know, phenomenal new property to, to, again, drive lots and lots of interest in, in the domestic game. Um, and provide real meaningful competition uh, with our, our neighbors to the south. Uh, it's an officially licensed um, and recognized um, competition. CONCACAF has sanctioned it. The winners of the, the tournament will, will gain access to the knockout rounds of, of the Champions League. So it, it is a meaningful competition. It'll have you know, meaningful prize money, and we think it'll be a, a, a big uh, tournament success when it launches next year. Great. Something uh, exciting to look forward to next year. Before we let you go, Chris, we have two questions that we like to ask all of our guests. So I'll ask it in two parts. The first one is, how did you get your start in the sports business? And then following up on that, what piece of advice would you have for somebody who's looking to break in? Well, your career got started. Where to start it? So interestingly, the 
the two answers are, are pretty intertwined in, in my mind. I was um, at, at Columbia, as you mentioned, the best business school, or as I like to say, a very high price dating services. I met my <laughs> wife there, but, but, but either, either way. Well, you got uh, your money's was, worth. Yeah, very much so. Um, I was at Columbia getting my MBA and I was in my second year. And frankly, I was looking for something to do. And uh, Sunil Galati, who was the president of U.S. soccer at the time, was a professor at Columbia. And I went and sat in his office hours and said, hey, you know, I've been a lifelong soccer fan. I, I love the sport. Um, I think there's a bigger opportunity for the sport in, in and around the digital business. And he, you know, tried seven times to convince me that I should stay the course. I was supposed to, you know, go into a private equity job. And he said, no, 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 go do that. You won't make any money in sports. And I said, no, I think that, you know, sports is really interesting. I really love soccer. I think I got this idea. He eventually connected me to, to Don and, and Kathy Carter. And as a project, I wrote a business plan for what became MLS Digital, um, you know, during my second year, got paid a little bit of money, which I loved as, as you know, a, a graduate student. And um, thought that was going to be it. The you know the project finished. I, I delivered a, a business plan for their their new digital business, uh, and I, I was going to go off and work in finance. And uh, Don called me up uh, that summer and said, "Hey, you know, how about that uh, plan you put together? Would you like to come actually build it for us?" And I said, "Well, that sounds a lot more fun than you know running models and doing private equity stuff." So I, I took a flyer and, and jumped in with both feet. And now, you know, 14 and a half, 15 years later, I'm still here growing the growing the sport and loving every day. So it, uh, it's been a tremendous uh, run so far. And the, the piece of advice I, I would give is, um, you know, I think all of us in the sports in, industry get inundated every day with people who call up and say, I like sports or I like this sport or I love soccer or I love this or that or the other thing. Um, and that's not really a differentiating factor. What, what all of us are really looking for is somebody who brings ideas who brings a perhaps unique perspective onto our business. And so to the extent that, you know, you ever call somebody or, or you ever reach out to, to somebody in the sports industry, bring an idea, bring a, you know, a thought about their business, bring something that was, you know, that from your history, whether that, you know, that's your professional history, your personal history, something that that's really unique and interesting and apply it to, to the area that you're talking about, because sports is not one business. It's, about 75 different businesses and every different area has all sorts of different unique uh, needs and requirements. And so, you know, show an understanding of the actual space that, that you're, you're leaning into, bring some ideas and be proactive and, and stay after it because, um, you know, had I not, you know, badgered Sunil, whatever that was 15, 16 years ago, I never would have been in, been in this role. Um, and I think if, if you talk to most folks in the industry, they, they have somewhat similar stories where it, it took some level of persistence, some level of ingenuity, some level of uh, entrepreneurship, frankly, to, to weasel their, their way into a role. And then when, once you get in, you hang on for dear life and, and do all you can to enjoy riding the ride because it's a, it's a really fun industry to work in. Great advice. And I, I love that story. Um... It goes to what I always say, follow your passion and your passion with soccer and you parlay that into a, a very, very successful career. And we, we can't thank you enough for joining us, Chris. Guys, thanks for having me. It's, it's been fun to talk about just some of the uh, amazing things happening in and around MLS land. And um, great to see you both. Yeah, really, really great. You have a lot to be proud of and congrats on all. You guys are making news like right and left. So congrats on all that. And for the right reasons, not like some of the other properties we've been talking about on this program for the last few months. <laughs>
the upside is all in the future. There's so much to come. So it's, it's a tremendous space. And hopefully we'll be announcing a deal with Tim here shortly. So, you know, maybe we can make some news on this program oh, at some point. Oh, Tim <laughs> putting the pressure on. He laid it down. <laughs> and I'm not editing that. I'm yes. uh, I'm for for the first time in 27 episodes. I'm speechless. <laughs> thanks, Chris. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Enjoy, Listen, guys. Chris. See you. Chris, Here. thanks. Thank you again to Chris Schlosser of Major League Soccer. Um, some really great insights into uh, how MLS is approaching their business. So thanks to him. Um, this is the time of the show where we look forward into the next week. Um, before we do that, I want to, uh, I want to mention something that came across my desk earlier today. And I know you saw it as well, David, uh, Anthony Richardson, a quarterback from university of Florida who happens to wear number 15, um, announced that he will no longer be known by his nickname of AR-15. Um, I think that's a, a, a pretty sensitive and sensible move by this young man, um, given all of the gun violence that we have in this country and how much of it is, um, is done by those types of weapons. So I just wanted to give a, a shout out to Anthony Richardson for that decision. I thought it showed a maturity and a sensibility that quite frankly, a lot of people in society don't have. So good, good on him. So what's, uh, what's on your mind? What are you looking forward to in the next uh, week? Yeah. First I too was impressed with this statement and how he's handled it and what it means. And I think overall it's going to end up being a positive for him. So, so good on Anthony Richardson on that move. Once again, I'm expecting that we might hear something specific as to where the NFL Sunday ticket business goes. I have predicted that it will go to Apple TV. Uh, we do know this, that Roger Goodell recently was out in Sun Valley for the annual Allen & Co. Sun Valley Retreat, otherwise known as Summer Camp for Billionaires. And uh, during his time out there, he said that it was most likely going to a streamer, which means it's going to a streamer. Um, and it does look like Apple TV and Amazon are the are the last people standing here, meaning that ESPN Plus is uh, uh, likely won't get it. Obviously, ESPN, um, you know, maintains Monday Night Football, so they have a big piece of the NFL. Um, but that 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 would be big. It would it would extend the string of of announcements for Apple uh, with their MLB announcement earlier, and then of course the MLS announcement, uh, and then this, which would be you know the big uh, the big big ticket, pardon the pun, because it is called the Sunday ticket, but it would be uh, it would be rather, rather significant. And I do think that they are in position coming off of these other uh, properties that they have to, to really do something unique and uh, and cool with it. What about you? Well, a couple of things. One, I was going to talk and I will in a moment about something, but it, this literally just came across my phone. Uh, Live Golf reportedly will talk to Charles Barkley about a media role. I so uh, so that's something we're going to have to look forward yeah. to. I actually saw something on that a little bit earlier. You oh, know, you got to beat me, right? You no, 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 me. no. I don't want to know. But it was it was in conjunction with his comment that he would actually, I think, something to the effect for the money that that Phil Mickelson got that he would kill a family member, which I thought was a little <laughs> extreme. So I, but if he would do that, obviously, you've never met my family. There, but yeah, yeah. But yeah, no. 
<laughs> yeah, but pretty what crazy. I'm, yeah. What I'm going to continue to watch is, um, you know, recently Anheuser-Busch announced that it would give up its uh, exclusivity during Super Bowl uh, advertising. And Molson Coors has already announced that they're going to be putting a spot in the next game. So I think ultimately, <laughs> as it almost always does, it's going to be mean more money um, for the NFL. But uh, we'll see if anybody else comes in. But I thought that was interesting. It didn't take too long. We're six months out from the big game. Um, and Molson Coors is already uh, committed to, to running at least one spot. Yeah, I think for those that don't follow the advertising involved in live sports, uh, maybe as much. This is big news. I mean, they have held that exclusivity, which is very rare, just because exclusivity on the Super Bowl is extremely expensive. I mean, having a spot on the Super Bowl, as we all know, is very expensive. And AB held ex exclusivity across the beer category for a long, long time. So that was that was big. Not surprisingly, it's someone jumped in. But it's going to put a, a heck of a lot of premium on their creativity, which they've already shown they have the ability to do with this Patrick Mahomes spot they came out mm -hmm. with recently uh, with the Coors Light flashlight idea, um, because you can't show a player actually with a with a beer. They can promote the company, but they can't promote the actual beer product. So go figure right. that. But I thought that was fascinating. So they they've definitely are their their minds are working already. Yeah, so I would say a couple things. One, if you want a more cost-effective uh, advertising vehicle, we speak to either David or myself. Um, and the second thing is, uh, where was our invitation to uh, to the Allen and Company conference? Well, I don't know if they know just how impactful this show is yet, and the kind of type of revenue it is driving and has the potential to drive. But I think next year we're in. I think next year we're yeah, in. we're going to be growing. there. We'll do the interview with Roger. Yeah, we're growing slowly, but we're growing smartly. Yeah. So with that, we'll say goodbye again. Uh, another great week. David, as always, I really enjoy talking with you. Um, but it's you, the listeners, who um, keep us doing what we're doing. So uh, if you like us, share us, review us, give us feedback. We'd love to know what you think about it. For those of you who have reached out to David and myself with kind words, thank you. That They really mean a lot. We're we're having fun doing this. And um and the fact that even, you know, some people are listening to us is is really just gravy because we probably have this conversation every week anyway. So with that, I'll say goodbye, David. I will Thanks. talk to you soon. Take care, everybody. Bye.